Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, The Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about how God is using us to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our local church, go to breadoflifeboise.org. It's time now to pull out our Bibles as we reach back into our archives to continue a study on the lives of the disciples of Jesus Christ. We are studying the individual lives of the 12 apostles, and today we move on to the life of the Apostle Philip. According to most commentators who have attempted to extract a profile of Philip's life from the Gospels, Philip was a fellow without a strong intellect, without the ability to make clear decisions, and without, at least at some times, a clue. I think this assessment is unfortunate. However, be that as it may, even here we can learn a valuable lesson in regards to the kind of person that God can make foundational to his great works. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, you can be a building block in that great church that Christ is building, just as Philip was one of its twelve foundation stones. You can be a building block even if you're not gifted with the strongest intellect or the ability to make firm decisions, even if sometimes you feel as though you're in over your head and you just don't have a clue. Well, we're going to look at the life of Philip, and we're going to look at four different occasions in the life of Philip. The first one is found in John chapter 1, it's verses 43 through 51. The next one is found in John chapter 6, it's verses 5 through 7. Then in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 22. And then in John chapter 14, verses 8 through 11, there are these four different accounts that the Apostle John has made sure that he has recorded of the life of Philip in his gospel, in his story of the life of Christ. You know, I think if you were to look at your life and you were to choose or select four events in your life, four times when you spoke or four times when you acted, and you got to choose four events that could be recorded in a history that would be passed down from generation to generation to generation, I have a suspicion that you would choose different accounts than the accounts that were given of Philip. I mean, if Philip was going to be able to say, now, John, listen, I want you to record four things that took place in my life during the life of Christ. Philip would have put his finger, I'm sure, on four other events than the ones that, by the Holy Spirit, God directed John to record of the life of Philip. And the unfortunate thing is that in these four accounts, and this is what you find when you're studying the life of the disciples, the different individuals who are trying to give us and present to us these different lives, the different commentators who are studying these lives, all are searching for some kind of special vantage point to look at these different individuals. And so they'll take a statement or a phrase or a word or the one or two appearances of a person, and they will spend a long period of time delineating and helping us understand just what that guy's personality is and what his character traits were and what his strengths were and what his weaknesses were. And they'll draw it all from one or two little events, which again seems to be a little bit unfair for these fellows. It's not a complete picture of their lives. And, and it's particularly unfair for Philip because when you see what individuals have said about Philip and what they've determined Philip was like, it, it's not a very complimentary picture. As they look at each one of these different events, they come up with a view of Philip that, well, it just doesn't reflect very well upon him. Let me take you through these four accounts and show you what the accounts basically record and then 
give you an idea of what basically most commentators will say about Philip drawing conclusions about what they read in the text. They let each one of them inform them a little bit, so maybe the first account doesn't have anything really negative, but by the time they've got through the other three accounts, they decide that that doesn't even reflect very well upon the first account. The first account is where Jesus comes to Philip, and we read that Jesus goes from the area of the Jordan River, and he leaves the Jordan River to go back to the region of Galilee, to the city of Bethsaida, where Philip was from. And there it says that Jesus found Philip, we read. He's the first disciple who is found of Christ. He finds Philip, and he brings Philip unto himself, and he reveals himself to Philip. And then Philip goes and finds Nathanael and says to him, We found the one that is written of among Moses and in the prophets. In other words, Philip is saying, We found the Messiah. Nathanael, we found the one that we've sat around and discussed and talked about and wondered and speculated what he'd be like and that we've been searching for. We found him. And actually, Philip goes on to say, and this is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathanael responds to Philip and says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip's response is profound. He tears apart all the prejudice that Nathanael has. He argues with him and shows him the fact that God can bring a man from any place and use him, and it doesn't matter where he's from. No, Philip doesn't say anything like that. Philip simply says, well, why don't you come and see? And we read that Philip brings Nathanael to Jesus. That's the first account. And there Nathanael does find Jesus, and he does discover the one who puts aside all of his prejudices because they are put aside in the presence of Christ. It's a good lesson for us. Prejudice is what keeps men from God, and you cannot argue a man out of his prejudices. You simply must bring him before the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he meets Christ, Christ begins to reveal to him his heart and what his real needs are. And that's where a man discovers who Jesus is, and that's where his prejudice begin to melt away. It's not by the power of our argument. But now the second account we have is the story of Jesus, and he's again by the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd has come to gather around him in a remote region, and Jesus is instructing this crowd, and we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, that in this place there are over 5,000 men, and then we understand that there were other people as well that were gathered around. There would be the women and children. So there's this large crowd that's gathered around to hear Christ's instruction and teaching. And, uh, well, it's late in the day and they haven't ate it all. And Jesus turns to Philip and says, Philip, how are we going to provide food for all these people? And the Gospel of John says that Jesus didn't ask this because he didn't know what he was going to do, but he simply asked it of Philip in order to test him. That's what it says. And Philip's response is, and obviously Philip is very good at math, because he figures out, Lord, look, if, if we have a whole year's worth of wages and money, we will not have enough to provide for each person here to get one bite. That's basically what he says. Well, then Jesus, through the assistance of Andrew, who brings a young boy to him that has a certain amount of bread and fish, Jesus takes that and blesses it and multiplies it and feeds the multitude with what little is there. And so we have that story of Philip. And the third account is the story of Philip, and he's in the city of Jerusalem, and it's the season of the last Passover that Christ will celebrate before he goes to the cross. And there are a group of Gentiles, they're Greeks actually, and they want to come and see Jesus. And so they come to Philip, of all people, and they ask Philip if Philip can arrange for them to have an audience with Jesus so they can speak to him. And we're told that Philip doesn't immediately take them in the presence of Jesus. Instead, Philip goes and he talks to Andrew about it, and they figure out what to do together. And then Andrew and Philip together take these individuals, these Greeks, to go meet with Jesus. That's the third account. 
The fourth account is this account that we've just read about where Jesus is speaking to Thomas and Jesus is telling them, gentlemen, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to go to my father's house. In other words, I'm going to go back to heaven and there I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know where I'm going to go and you know the way. You know the way to go there. Thomas says, Lord, well, Thomas doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. Lord, uh, I don't want to contradict you here, but uh, no, I don't know where you're going and I don't know the way. And Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Thomas, listen, if you would only understand, if you had only known, you would know that if you want to see the Father, you can see him because you can look at me. Let's look at the verse that he says to him. He says, verse 7 of chapter 14, If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have, key word here, seen him. And Jesus is speaking of himself. Now, that maybe solves Thomas's question, but that raises a question in Philip's mind. Well, Lord, I, I don't think I've seen the Father. Lord, if you've shown it to Thomas, you know, I missed when you showed him that. Could you show it to me as well? Lord, if you could only show me the Father, that would be enough. If you just show that to us. And that prompts a wonderful response from Jesus. He says, first Philip, have you been with me so long you don't recognize? Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Now let's go back through these four accounts really quickly and show you what people will tell you about the life of Philip. Basically what they'll tell you is that Philip is kind of a slow-witted person who has a difficulty in making decisions and he has a limited amount of faith. He's slow-witted because when Nathaniel says, can anything of good come out of Nazareth, Philip doesn't have an argument. He can't say anything. He's left fumbling and stumbling and bumbling and all he says is, well, come and take a look for yourself. And so, you know, he's just one of these guys that just it doesn't have the power of his own convictions to really give the right bit of information and to rebuke individuals and correct them and instruct them. And instead, he simply brings them to Jesus. Now they'll acknowledge that was the right thing for Philip to do, but they also acknowledge that this is a demonstration that this guy is just not that sharp attack. Now, the next thing is, in the second account, they show that here Jesus is testing Philip to see whether Philip has enough faith to believe that God can do a great miracle to provide for these people, and Philip can't. He says, Lord, this is an impossible situation, and, well, you see, the problem with Philip is he just doesn't have the faith to believe God for the impossible. And so he's a person who's weak in faith as well. Then we have the third account where these Greeks want to come and see Jesus and meet with him. And Philip hesitates. That seems like a pretty important thing to do. And I don't know, you know, Jesus' ministry is to the Jews and it's not to the Greeks. And, you know, I don't know if we should interrupt him with these people. And, well, maybe I'll go and talk to Andrew. And, you know, Philip just can't make a decision. He's not decisive. He doesn't have the power to do the right thing. And so he goes to Andrew and said, but Andrew, man, he knows what to do. And he says, let's take him to Jesus. And they go right to Jesus. Jesus, and there's Philip again, just kind of out of his depths. He's just always just a little bit too deep into it, and he just doesn't know what to do. And of course, here's the fourth account. Here Jesus is speaking very plainly to Thomas and explaining to him. He, he says, you've seen him. You can almost see Jesus pointing at himself when he says it. And Philip, he's just not all there understanding. Lord, just show him to him, and that'll be enough. Jesus has to say, Philip, listen, you've been with me for three years, possibly longer, and don't you recognize that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? And here is Philip again, just kind of out of his depth. It just doesn't quite clue into things right away. And the wonderful lesson that they try to teach us from this, and this is a good lesson, and you ought to be encouraged by this. If you find that you're a person who is out of your depths a lot of the time, and you don't know the right answer to give, you know, when people come to you with their arguments against Jesus or the gospel, and, and you know, you find that you just have a hard time believing God in certain situations, 
and you discover that you're not the kind of person who's empowered to make strong, decisive decisions, and you're kind of the person who trails behind. And, and if you're that individual who, man alive, it just seems like you're learning the same lesson over and over again, and it's not sinking in, be encouraged, because this was the kind of person that was one of the 12, one of the foundational people in the church, and God can use you too. And, and that's a great lesson. And I want you to know, they may be right. This may be the right perspective on the life of Philip. Hey, God can use Philip. God can use me. If Philip can be a foundational point to build his church, then I can be one of the pillars of the church as well, in a sense. I can be a foundation stone that God can build upon for the future. Be encouraged. God doesn't just have sharp tacks in his fellowship. He has people who get it slowly and come along slowly, but that's okay because in due time, through the power of God's revelation, he'll show you what you need to know and he'll teach you what you need to know and all you need to do is you just keep coming back to him. This is the one good thing about Philip. He's always with Jesus and always around Jesus. If he doesn't get everything, he's going to eventually because he's in the presence of the right person. Paul himself noted that not many wise of his age had become followers of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1 that this was God's way of bringing to nothing the wisdom of this world and exalting the wisdom that comes through life in Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to The Bread of Life. If you're looking for fellowship gathering around Jesus Christ as our shared wisdom, consider paying us a visit at the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org. And to learn more about our international ministry, go to traincpe.org. Church Partnership Evangelism continues our development of national church leaders in evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. If you've listened this far, I invite you to pray for Pradaman of North India. With our training in hand, he has gone out and planted five house churches in his region. I visited one of those fellowships, a home that packs into a small space over 60 newborn believers to worship God and feed on his word. I wish I could tell you more, but we're running out of time. Until the next time together feeding on the bread of life, may God bless you.